This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, this is Chesney Snow from In Transit. And you're listening to The Jake Brown Show. What up? This is Christy Prades from On Your Feet, and you're listening to The Jake Brown Show. Gonga! Hey, this is Big George Foreman, and you're listening to The Jake Brown Show. Hi, this is Dick Stockton, and you're listening to The Jake Brown Show. Welcome to the Jake Brown Show on CBS Radio's Play.it Podcast Network on iTunes Podcast and on Spotify. Subscribe, give us five stars, write a review, and do that. And follow us on Jake Brown Radio, on Jake Brown Show, on social media. NCAA season has come to an end, and the University of North Carolina Tar Heels are the national champions. Their sixth title. 57, 82, 93, 2005, 2009, 2017. And Roy Williams wins his third national title, putting him up there right there with the greatest coaches of all time. And you could honestly safely put, you can put Roy Williams right there amongst the five greatest coaches in the history of college basketball, forming somewhat of a dynasty with the Tar Heels. I mean, somewhat. The guy has been to nine Final Fours, and he's won three Nationals titles. As North Carolina beats Gonzaga in the title game, we'll get into that. And later on in the show, in the first half of this week's shows, we'll get into Tony Romo. Can I call him a colleague now? He comes to CBS from the NFL. NFL to CBS. Tony Romo. How about that? Again, the Jake Brown Show, played out at iTunes, Spotify. You find us. A lot to get into. Big guests coming in the coming weeks. Stay tuned for that. Luke Halbert running the boards. At I am Luke Halbert. Follow us all on social media. But we have to start with the title game because if, if you want to talk about title games that are memorable, if you want to talk about title games that were incredible, if you want to talk about title games that were well played, this will be right at the bottom. Of the list. Missed free throws. Missed layups. God-awful officiating. Sloppiness. You did not think that Monday night in Phoenix at a 9.20 start, by the way, a little late, you did not think you were watching the two best teams in college basketball. I know I didn't. I was watching thinking, are the, is this the NIT championship or the NCAA championship? And it wasn't pretty. What we witnessed was a poor display of basketball. And I'm sick and tired of seeing college basketball players miss free throws left and right. And we'll get into the officiating in a second. 
But I'm sick and tired of guys missing front ends of one and ones, missing both free throws, missing in clutch spots. It seems like it is a massive jump from college free free throws to NBA free throws. It's wild because college, these kids really fail under pressure. And it seems like the spotlight at times is too big. And it got ugly for both sides. It really did. Gonzaga was 17 of 26, 65%. UNC 15 for 26, 57% from the free throw line. Field goal percentages, three-point land. Gonzaga, 42%, 8 for 19. UNC, 4 for 27. Good for 14.8% from downtown. And I'm not going to say they're great. NBA players miss free throws all the time. But in clutch spots, it's incredible to me how poor of free throw shooting teams these all these teams are. I mean, throughout the tournament, I saw so many missed front ends of one-and-ones and so many big free throws. You look at the Oregon Ducks and what happened with them, it plagued them. I mean, you would think we were watching high school free throws. It's free throws. Sure, I can't make them, but I don't play. You have some; these guys have to learn. Something has got to change, because it seems like it's gotten worse. I don't. This tournament really it stood out to me at how many teams lost because of poor free throw shooting, and UNC got lucky because their three point and free throw shooting were horrific, and they won. And I mean, Gonzaga fans today and people who don't like UNC are gonna say the refs blew it. And let's be real about this. The officiating in this game was absolute trash. Monday nights is when I bring the trash out, when we have to bring the trash for them to collect it on Tuesday mornings. And it seems like we brought the officials out and they were going to get picked up on Tuesday morning. 50 seconds remaining. Gonzaga down one. The officials call a jump ball. Okay, you want to call jump ball? Well, let's go to replay. There's under two minutes left. You went to replay for everything else. But the one play you had to go to replay for, on a jump ball, you had no idea what was going on. A guy's arm clearly out of bounds. Meek's elbow or hand was out of bounds. One of his hands was out. One was touching the ball. By rule, by the most uh, very obvious rule that officials should know, that is possession Gonzaga. UNC touched it, balls, the hand is on the ball, his other hand's out of bounds. That's Gonzaga ball. And you know what? Maybe Gonzaga didn't score that possession. But how a key possession like that with 50 seconds gets wrong when you have the reviewed to change the call is just, you can't defend an official on that. And I'm not one of those guys that appoint games and results always to officials. Because it comes down to it, Gonzaga played bad, UNC played bad. I guess you say the better team won. UNC was the team that played the stronger schedule all season. The team that's been there before, Roy Williams becoming an elite coach, was already an elite coach, but adding another title puts him in another class. But sometimes you have to throw that to the side when... The guys in the pin, in the pinstripes aren't doing their job. The guys in the zebra, the zebras failed miserably. I mean, there were a plethora of other missed calls. There were a plethora of other bad calls. 
But that one stood out to me because it's it's common sense. It, it wasn't like it was a tussle. His hand was out of bounds. I mean, how poor of a call can you make there? I mean, it, it's just inexcusable. It, it, it's it's hard to really understand. I mean, these guys, something's got to change here. That was, jobs are going to be lost. Suspensions are going to be handed down. I mean, fines. There were so many missed calls. Is that why UNC won? You could say that. Neither team deserved to win. It was who's the battle of who's less sloppy. Both played horrifically. But that was just hard to fathom. How how poor. And, and it was all tournament. It seems like the theme of the tournament was bad officiating. That's what it looked like to me. It was not at all a good national title game. And the reason a lot of us... The reason a lot of us won't watch some of these the the quality of play. I mean, it's hard to watch. It really is. It really is hard to watch these games go down when you just see some really bad basketball. I mean, 4 of 27 from downtown. Gonzaga shot just under 34%. UNC just shot just under 36%. I mean, there's just clanks left and right. And Gonzaga, you got to give some of the blame. I mean, he was so good. Karnowski was so good, the seven-footer. But he missed some gimmies, man. He missed layups and near dunks left and right. Karnowski was one of eight from the field in the biggest moment. And he looked gassed. And I know I, I know the Facebook Live comment uh, about my missed free throws during Hofstra's halftime contest. I said, I don't play. And that's why. And to defend myself a little bit, I did win the knockout where I won JetBlue tickets for that. So, yes, I, I, I've missed. But I also didn't get a full ride to play basketball. Unfortunately, Hofstra only gave me like five grand a year, which is like chump change. Hey, I don't play. But for these guys who are getting full rides to miss free throws, for Karnowski to miss layups is bad. And I know he's commenting, I see Knicks Nets game. Yes, we understand. But we don't see teams shooting 30% from the field in NBA games, even the Nets are laughing at that. Even the Knicks are laughing at that. Give credit to UNC. They came in and they shut Jay Billis up. Jay Billis said this team was not a one seed. They said this is seven losses. Duke deserves a one over them. Well, Duke showed us nothing. And UNC showed us everything. They showed us they have size. And you know what else they showed us? They showed us they have true NBA talent. I think Josh Jackson is going to be a real, or Justin Jackson, excuse me, is going to be a stud. I think he's got the size, he's got the body, the frame, the athletic ability, the form to be a really good player. You give credit to Williams Goss. He stood out. Nigel Williams Goss, he stood out in this tournament. Karnowski really could have proved himself a little bit more in that title game. 
Williams Goss played really well. Jackson played really well. And no one played better than Joel Barry. Joel Barry was the, the player of the tournament. The fo- player of the Final Four. And Robert comments, which I completely agree on, which is a point I didn't mention, the rhythm. I mean, how? not only did they make bad calls, they called constant fouls left and right. I mean, are you kidding me? How many f- calls are needed to be? Let the guys play. And we. this has been the knock on the NBA for a while here. The NBA has gotten soft. Officials are making dreadful calls left and right. Guys are barely touching each other and getting called. That was last night. I mean, the knock on the NBA is that. You could say that was the knock on college hoops in this tournament. But most particularly, last night. It's so annoying when we already have the commercials. We already have enough commercials. Now we have to deal with a stop of play every 10 seconds over a, a little wissy foul. This is the title game. Guys are going to be physical. You can't call everything. And especially in the final minutes of the game, you can't call everything. And hopefully we see a change. It seems to be, have become a trend where the game's gotten soft. It's it's not no blood, no foul <laughs> in college hoops. It's poke and foul is, is should be the phrase. It, it's embarrassing that the refs really hurt what was what could have been a great title game. And you point to the players, and, and the game was poor. Missed shots were made. But the emotions flowing through these guys in such an important game, being hurt by the Zebras and what what they decided to do every, every couple seconds calling something, it has an effect on you. It has a real effect on players. And that was that was apparent. So uh, you blame who you want. You you want to blame the refs? Blame them. They deserve blame. But you have to remember, some of these guys got to make free throws. Some of these guys got to make wide open threes. Karnowski has got to make layups. I mean, there were multiple ones I was watching where he was about one foot away from the rim, and he front rimmed it. You just can't do that. You can't get a full-ride scholarship and front-rim layups. I mean, he was right next to the basket. Use your size. He's got to bulk up a little bit, too. If he wants to get a deal overseas or maybe have a shot at an NBA D-League roster, that guy's got to bulk up, and he's got to make baskets around the rim. He's got to finish. Send it in, Jerome. Send it in. They weren't sending it in. So... Horrible job by the refs. Horrible championship game. While the game was close, the result was close. It was just one of those where you just wanted to put blindfolds on. And it was hard to watch. Moving to the historical side of it, Roy Williams. 2005, 2009, 2017, he wins his third title. You put him up there. You got Coach K. You got Dean Smith. Roy Williams is is entering that conversation of the greatest coaches in college basketball history. 
what he's done with UNC and constant titles and constant winning year after year what Roy Williams has done. You got Coach K, Dean Smith, Bob Knight, Jim Calhoun, Adolph Rupp, Tom Izzo's in there, Jim Beheim. you put in the category, Pat Summit, if you want to throw the women's game into there. I think Dean Williams, uh, excuse Dean Williams, Dean Smith and Roy Williams combined form Dean Williams. Roy Williams is probably right there, maybe at the number five mark of the greatest coaches in the history of college basketball. He he needed this title to get there, and I think he might have. Mark Few, tremendous season. He was awesome. Give him a ton of credit. But, again, UNC found ways late in games in this NCAA tournament to win, to close their opponent out. And they did that again on Monday. They had times where they were trailing at half. They were trailing in the second half late. You thought versus Arkansas they were going to go down. But time after time after time. I was getting into a song there. I forget. Um, what is the song with time? Time after time. Uh, Cindy, Cindy Lauper. How does it go? Time after time. There it is. Yeah. Uh, oh, that's a classic. Um, time after time. Time after time. UNC got it done. They continue to get it done. And guess what? They were hungrier. Hungrier. They were hungrier than a Jewish person on Yum Kipper. I mean, they wanted this so bad after losing last year to Villanova in the title game. They 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 had that feeling in their in their throat. They were outside Popeyes and it was closed, and they were trying to knock the door down and get some goddamn biscuits. And they did just that. I'm telling you, they were so hungry, this team. When you lose a title game like they did to Villanova last year, I mean, come on. At the buzzer to end a tournament? You know how heartbreaking that is? Like, I was on my catfish binge this weekend watching catfish. That's kind of like you're you're about to meet the hot girl and it ends up being a 500-pound man or something. That's like what happened. It's like a slap to the face. And they came back this year with a vengeance. Did they have the greatest regular season? No, they had seven losses. You were questioning whether they were the, a one seed, but you knew they had the athleticism, they had the size, they had the talent, and they had the coach, and they had the, the program to win this thing. And that's what the Tar Heels did. So overall, not the most memorable tournament ever, honestly. And if you think that, you're probably an idiot. Good tournament. It wasn't one. The South Carolina story was really the highlight for me in my mind. Oregon, they were good. It was a nice story. But the South Carolina one was the real one. And why was South Carolina one the, the great story of this tournament? I love Frank Martin, man. I mean, this guy showed his heart and soul and the emotion he showed in just crying after the loss. He entered this this year, he became one of the favorite and best coaches in college basketball this season. How that team played defense and how tough they were were a true testament to Frank Martin himself. This is the guy who used to Tell people to leave the club and knock people out of the club in Miami. This was a bouncer in Miami. 
He started as Miami High School assistant, then North Miami High School, Miami High School, Booker T. Washington High School, 2000, then Northeastern assistant, Cincinnati assistant, Kansas State assistant, then finally got his first head coaching job in the college ranks in 2007 until 2012 with Kansas State, and then he's been with South Carolina since 2012. Just everything about this guy, the toughness he embodies. Man embodies a true college coach and a father. He cared so much about this team, and that was devastating for them how they went down to Gonzaga. Coming back from a double-digit deficit in the second half to tie it and to do what they did and just lose. I mean, you have to love Frank Martin. He was maybe my favorite story of the tournament, him and that team. And I live on the border of North and South. I live in North Carolina, a block away of South Carolina. It was special to watch him, man. That team was a lockdown defense. It's a testament to coaching because South Carolina folks enter this tournament and if you pick them to go anywhere near the Final Four, you would have to have your head examined. And they went out there and went to the Final Four and did it by shutting you freaking down on offense. They said, you will not get in the lane. You will not score. And they were this close, this close to getting to that title game. And how awesome would it have been, by the way, if we had a North Carolina, South Carolina title game? It would have been Bo time. Bojangles would have to be the number one sponsor. I mean, first team to 80 points gets free biscuits for life. It's bow time, baby. But, and hey, we could have the West Coast battle too of Gonzaga versus Oregon. You had the, t- you know what's cool about this? Washington versus the state below, North Carolina versus the state below. I mean, both those had storylines. Unfortunately, we got the one that, I mean, we got the better teams playing against each other, but not as good of a storyline. So I don't think that storyline was great. The game obviously wasn't great. We had the two best teams, but man, it would have been nice to have North Carolina, South Carolina, or Oregon versus Gonzaga. But yeah, Frank Martin really was just my favorite thing of this tournament because this team was so mediocre coming in. They were mediocre all year. I think they finished like 23-10. and 10. A little bit of a bubble team. They were in, but they weren't one of those guaranteed you're in teams. It was one of those in the 50 to 64 range kind of teams. They were one of those top 30 teams where you're like, I'm locking South Carolina in. And that's not a testament to coaching. I don't know what is. There's certain points where you look at coaches and say they had an impact on their that team. And there was no coach who had more of an impact on their team than Frank Martin for the South Carolina Gamecocks. That's one of those special runs where you you analyze the players, you analyze what they did, how they got there, and it starts right at the top. And it took this guy so long to get there. Any guy that was a former nightclub bouncer that worked his way to a Final Four is just an incredible story. Those are the stories you look for. The garbage man who became an NBA All-Star. Those kind of things. Those things from nothing to something. Now That's probably a bad example. How many garbage men have played <laughs> in the All-Star game? I'll have to get the stat man to research that. But, you know, a garbage man who becomes like, uh, I don't know, a track star. I don't know. 
You know what I'm saying. Rags to riches. Rags to riches stories. That's the word for it. Rags to riches stories are great ones. And Frank Martin was was somewhat of a rags to riches story that got his chance and he shined. And they fought back. And that was their thing the whole tournament. Fight, fight, fight. I remember and, smart too. And he's a, he's a smart guy. And the emotion he showed was just, you love seeing that. You hate seeing guys cry, but you, you love seeing that. And it was similar to the emotion that we saw in De'Aaron Fox in Kentucky. A guy on one and done. Oh, screw one and done. Why is this guy crying? He's going to the league. He declares at the draft. A guy who, whose tournament really bolstered his NBA draft value. I mean, De'Aaron Fox looked like a stud in the tournament. A guy that we weren't ranting and raving about during the season. We were raving. But this time we were ranting and raving about De'Aaron Fox. And, and you like to see a guy like that have emotion, a guy who's, you know what, his next step is the NBA, but he p- poured his heart and soul into this team and into this tournament. They shocked UCLA in some capacity. Some people, like me, really thought UCLA was going to win that game and maybe go to the title game and win a title. And they looked really good, and De'Aaron Fox was huge. You, you like to see those stories. Those are the things in the tournament, the one shining moments that stand out to me. What we saw... From Fox crying, players like that crying, and a Frank Martin and the coach crying in that. And you feel bad for Mark Few because he he entered an elite college hoops category this year by getting to a Final Four, getting to a title game, and fall just short. And a lot of that, you, you blame the refs and you, you blame poor offense as well, just not being able to finish around the rim. So on that note, we wrap up the college basketball season. And we move on. Baseball's here. And we'll we'll have a baseball show dropping Wednesday or whenever you're hearing this with me talking opening day, talking baseball. And Justin McMahon, Daily Fantasy Insider, will join us to talk about Daily Fantasy and how he really turned $25 into $100,000. And a pretty cool story there. But that wasn't the only news of the day, was it? Was it, folks? There was there was a guy who's I, I'm I'm just gonna call my colleague because it sounds cool to say, hey, my colleague is Tony Roma, my buddy. Although technically, later on he won't be when I make when CBS Radio becomes Entercom and they're two separate companies. But for now, I'll call my colleague Tony Romo. I mean, what insanity! Absolute insanity. Tony Romo is CBS down and the reports and everything said he will replace Phil Sims. It seems like he had a great relationship with Jim Nance. And I wonder how much he is getting. That is the thing. Is it like a five year, $15 million? I'm wondering how much money per year Tony Romo will make. But the reports say that, not the reports, the truth. Sean McManus from CBS said, CBS Sports said, hey, we've been talking with Romo since the end of the season. This finally materialized over the last couple of weeks, and they got a deal done Monday night. But this has been a talk of conversation since the season ended. They said, you know what? This guy's had injury the last couple of years. Let's try to let's try to bring him in here. Let's try to make him an analyst. And Tony Romo retires from the league and will join CBS replacing none other than Phil Sims and Phil Sims we could say 
some people might be happy about this decision. Oh, remember, for it to be a forward pass, it's got to go forward. Thanks for the astute analysis there, uh, Phil. For it to be a forward pass, it has to go forward. Now, Phil Sims was in no means a bad broadcaster. It was good. But I, I don't think he was. It was more his name that stood out. It was, you know what? It's Nance and Sims. But when you enter Tony Romo in there, I mean, people are going to watch and listen Tony Romo. This is going to be an intriguing transition. And I think we all know that Romo, I think, is a good fit for the job, and I think he's a good fit as an analyst. But to see him become the number one guy overnight from the league to taking the number one analyst spot for the NFL is going to be very interesting because... The pressure's on, Tony. Now, he said if needed, if there's an emergency, he'll go to the Cowboys. If Dak Prescott gets hurt, who are you going to call? Tony Romo. He'll be the first man on speed dial. I mean, they have, it, they have it ready. And I think if there's a serious injury to Dak Prescott, Romo will gladly take the keys to the car on what you would expect to be a good Cowboys team. I mean, it's a team that did win the NFC East, who had a tremendous season, you'd expect them to be right there again if Dak Prescott is as solid as he was in his rookie campaign. But we'll see. But if that spot is open, if Dak, you know, it tears, unfortunately tears the ACL in preseason, midseason, we're almost saying, bye-bye CBS, you're going to watch me on CBS now. You're going to watch me on the field on CBS, not in the booth. He'll be right there. Now, it begs the question, as Tony Romo, will he have success as a broadcaster? His career comes to an end. This is where we start the argument. This is where we say, let's look back at Tony Romo's career. Let's look back at what he did. And I'll say this. I'll say this. Say it. Say it. I had someone on Twitter, I think it was his name was Jim, believing that Tony Romo is a Hall of Famer. Now, I don't know what Jim was smoking this morning. I don't know if he was on crack, if he was chilling with Lamar Odom, if he was hitting some purple purple with Snoop Dogg. But Tony Romo is not. Tony Romo is not a Hall of Famer. Let me tell you about Tony Romo. Great regular season quarterback. Had years where he was really good. He was a pro bowler. He led his team to the playoffs. He put up franchise numbers. He has more yards than any Cowboys quarterback in their franchise history. 34,183 career yards. 248 touchdowns. 117 Interceptions, a 65% completion rate. But let me point to the things why Tony Romo is not a Hall of Famer. First off, the guy could not win in the playoffs. Two and four in his career in the playoffs, never did anything with the Cowboys in the playoffs, never took them to the promised land. They never made an NFC championship, if I'm not mistaken. They never made one. And remember, he'll always remember for that botched snap where Seattle, where he botched the ball. 
trying to hold it on that field goal, and they lose. So that's one. Two, longevity. The guy didn't play long enough. The injuries derailed him. If you told me he was going to play another four years, four full seasons, I'd say let's revisit the Hall of Fame conversation after those seasons. But look at Tony Romo's career. Romo entered the league in 2004. He finally got his chance in 2006 where he started 10 games. 06, 07, 08, 09. 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. That's nine seasons. 15, you can't count it, he played four games. And 16, you can't count it, he didn't start a game. That's nine seasons. Of those nine, one of them, in 2010, he only plays six games. So I'm taking that out of the question. We're down to eight seasons that we count for Tony Roma's career. In those eight seasons, he only started all 16 games in four of them. How are you going to tell me that a NFL Hall of Fame quarterback started all 16 games four times in his career? In those eight seasons, one of those seasons, he started 13. So that means he missed three games. I'm telling you, the longevity isn't there. I'm not denying the guy put up incredible seasons. He had one, two, three, four years of over 4,000 yards. He had four years of over 30 touchdowns. That's a very nice career. But for a guy to even argue with me, for people, there was actually humans, and I'm seeing it on Facebook too, I'm seeing people post, I don't know if it's the fan in them, if they love Romo, but you just don't know sports if you think Tony Romo is a Hall of Famer. Can you, can it cut, get on your mind? Sure, we're talking about it now. It could be on your mind. It could enter your mind. But for it to go in your mind and process in your mind, and for you to enter, for it to leave your mind thinking, sure, this guy's a first ballot Hall of Famer. You're nuts. He just didn't play long enough. And I'd love to see him play more and see what he would have done. But the guy would have been in a body bag. The back injuries, the neck injuries, all these injuries will handicap a player. It's just, it was too much. Now I think he could have played a couple more years. I think when he did play the one game, he looked fine. Um, but the guy the last two years was just crippled. He couldn't play. And he was not clutch. I mean, six games, one is not a big sample size. He was. I'm not talking regular season playoffs here. He wasn't clutch in the playoffs. There were times where he could have led his team to victory in the playoffs and he didn't do it. It was a short sample size, but in that sample size, he wasn't good. You play all those years and don't make one NFC championship, and you can blame the roster or whatever. Some of those teams were really good. The Cowboys should have went further in a couple of those seasons, and they did not. They choked down the stretch in the playoffs. So for anyone who wants to argue, please come here. You could call in. I'll have you on the show, and I'll give you yours 
15 seconds to explain why you think Tony Romo is a Hall of Famer. And I have no knock against him. I don't like the Cowboys, but I have no issue with Tony Romo. But put your biases aside. Take your Cowboys hat off. Take your fan hats off. Good career. I'll say, you know what, great career for a quarterback. Quarterback's a tough position, man. But not a Hall of Fame career. And you know what? It, it's a new era in Dallas, but I think the one they're looking forward to, they're looking forward to the Dak Prescott era. The offensive line, Ezekiel Elliott, a decent defense, not great defense, decent. And I think people are excited. I don't think people are like, oh, yes, Tony's gone. Woohoo. But I think Cowboys fans are insane. Oh, no, we have to move on. I, I think they're fine with it. Get rid of the $20 million a year. Now, they're still going to pay him a portion of that for next season. But you're getting rid of big bucks. You're getting younger. You have a franchise quarterback who's in his early 20s. Dak Prescott is the future, and people are excited about that. And that fact alone, by the way, has to tell you that Romo was not very memorable. He was not the guy you're saying, Peyton Manning category, Eli Manning category. Even Phillip Rivers. I think Phillip Rivers has had a much better career than Tony Romo has. And while Rivers hasn't necessarily won as much either, he's been to the playoffs, he's lasted longer, he hasn't got injured that much, he plays consistently, he throws for touchdowns consistently. That sample size for Romo in that stretch, with really four seasons where he didn't really play close to a full season, tells you, you know, it's just too short. It was really five to six years where you saw almost a full season. Four years with 16 games and two years with 15. So six seasons is where you saw what you had in Tony Romo, where you saw the real numbers. Six seasons doesn't doesn't get you in a cannon, folks. Morn Anderson had trouble getting in as a kicker. Yes, as a kicker. Playing three decades. Three to four decades. I mean, Morton Anderson played forever. And I know, don't compare kickers and quarterbacks. It's different. But talk about longevity. That guy was long. played long. Peyton Manning played very long. Eli Manning's not paid to play very long. And there are certain people who in short stints could do well. Look at Terrell Davis. Did he play long at all? No. But the guy's a Hall of Famer. He also was a winner. The guy won a Super Bowl. 2,000 yards. The guy ran for 2,000 yards. A short career, but really dominated in that short career for his position. Literally was on the top of the charts. Now, when we talk about Tony Romo's career, I don't think we ever considered him a top three to five quarterback in the league. Sure, he had other competitions. But if he wanted to be in that elite status, we'd say, hey, Tony Romo's the third best quarterback in the league. We never said that once. I didn't say that one year in his career. Did, did we say he's in the top 10 when he was healthy? Probably. I'd say he's probably in this in the eight to ten category, but hey, there's eight there's a, there's eight to ten quarterbacks out there throughout the last throughout the time the NFL has lasted that have not made the Hall of Fame, and Tony Romo will be one of them. So I, I think it'll be a smooth transition. I I think he'll be he'll be a good broadcaster. I, I think he'll succeed, and I think he has a relationship with Jim Nance, and that is what partially came into this. I think part of the reason he did this is because he really likes Jim Nance. Like, 
Hello, friends. This is Jim Nance. Hello, friends. And can Tony Romo can do it? Hello, friends, too. And that would be lovely. But we'll see. We'll see what happens. I mean, it, it's a good move here. And uh, the Texans were atop the Romo's list, but you know, in the end, it wasn't enough. That's going to wrap up the. First half of this week's Jake Brown show. The second half of the show, we'll talk opening day. We'll talk baseball. We'll talk a little NBA. And Justin McMahon, the daily the CEO of Daily Fantasy Insider, is going to join us to talk about how he turned $25 into 100000 Also coming up this week on the Jake Brown show, Lenny Dykstra will be back in the building. Lenny D is coming. And he will be in studio. You'll hear that interview Thursday. April 6th. And uh, thanks everyone for joining us. Subscribe and rate us five stars. Write a nice review on iTunes Podcast. And thanks for everyone who's watched on Facebook Live. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Jake Brown Show. And follow me at Jake Brown Radio. And thanks to Luke Halpert running the board and chime in at I am Luke Halpert. We will see you on part two baseball NBA McMahon edition right here on the Jake Brown Show on CBS Radio. Play it at it iTunes, and Spotify. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.